Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have Bitten Johnson with us. She is a registered nurse and a sugar addiction specialist. Welcome, Bitten. Thank you, Amber. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, she is a wealth of information, y'all. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about sugar addiction. So Bitten, tell us some of your background. Like, how did you get to where you are now? Oh, well, um, you know, I remember starting to eat sh- sugar lumps. There were When I was young, there were not a lot of candy. There was not a lot of things that we could get. You know, I lived in the country. We ate homemade food. So, you know, candy was not on the map for me. But sugar lumps were, you know, that we had in coffee. I knew I loved them. And uh, later, you know, when I could get hold of ice cream or chocolate, you know, I love that more than anything. I've never been a, a flour lover, you know, pasta, bread, that stuff of thing has not been that interesting to me. Uh, so I knew I always loved that. And when I was a teenager, I started dieting, of course, you know, crazy diets, you know, starving diets. And the Friday evening, it all um, went down the drain with drinking chocolate milk and eating, uh, you know, whatever uh, sandwiches or not food, but you're not just binging on that type thing. So this was my teenage year all the time. And then when I went to nursing school, I was 19. And I heard that, you know, if you smoke, you lose appetite. So I thought that would be a beautiful dieting thing. So I started smoking and I was a smoker right away. You know, I thought that was perfect way to, uh, you know, lose weight and all that because I did lose weight. So I was smoking instead of eating that. And then uh, later on in nursing school, I started drinking and I loved it immediately. I loved the effect alcohol had on me. And I, I thought it was, why haven't I found out about this earlier? I'm, you know, 20 when I start drinking. So I did, and then uh, there were many years of, you know, eating. I could eat very strange. I could eat chocolate one day, eat bacon the next day, drink, smoke, you know, but I was very healthy, so I didn't have any consequences, which is bad in a way, right? Uh, and I went through nursing school and started working, and but the dieting got harder and harder. You know, it was gaining and losing more often and in a more wild manner, I would say. But when I was 33, uh, I was married to an American, lived in California, and he didn't like that I was drinking so much. So he started protesting, and I started hiding and lying about my drinking. To make that story short, you know, he forced me into treatment when I was 33. So today that is 36. Well, actually, I was drunk the 26th of September coming into the treatment facility in California, beautiful, wonderful treatment. I didn't like it then, I hated it. I thought he was nuts. But anyway, uh, I came in there and 27th of September was my first sober day and that's 36 years today. So I'm very grateful, very grateful, sober, (laughs) recovering alcoholic. And then, but the next seven years I was smoking, drinking coffee and, you know, Uh, you know, living on my chocolate and ice cream uh, a lot, not being too interested in food. 
and uh, gaining a little bit of weight, losing weight, you know, dieting. I was on and off like that, but I'd never been really overweight. So I wasn't really thinking, thinking it was a big problem. But then I met Terence Gorski, who was my mentor. He's no longer with us in this world. And uh, I listened to him and I realized that, oh my God, you know, uh, this is connected the way I'm eating, you know, because he addressed eating habits, drinking and smoking and recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. And he said that that was a risk factor for relapse. And as a nurse, I started thinking, wait a minute, how, how is that fitting together, you know? Uh, alcoholism is a brain disease. How can smoking, eating, you know, junk food and then drinking a lot of coffee, how can they lead to relapse? So I got very curious and I thought I need more knowledge. But one thing I did after his lecture, I went home and quit smoking. And that was very interesting, I have to tell you, because then I almost drowned in chocolate and ice cream. I could not stop. I could control it so, somewhat when I was smoking. But when I quit smoking, you know, all hell broke loose. So uh, after nine months, you know, uh, quitting smoking, I'd gained more weight than ever. And that wasn't really the worst thing for me at that point. But the thing was that I was so tired. I almost, you know, killed myself in the car twice because I fell asleep driving. And, you know, I could sleep 14 hours, get out of bed and still wanting to go back to bed. I was frozen. Uh, I felt miserable. Uh, and I thought, you know, do I have Lyme's disease or because I live in the country and have dogs, right? You know, I started to come up with all these crazy explanations. But deep down inside, I knew that I did with sugar the same thing I did with alcohol. I was hiding, lying and sneaking, you know, uh, people, people didn't see how I was eating. But when I was alone, you know, I could, you know, really live on chocolate and ice cream. It was crazy. And I, of course, I understood somewhere that that wasn't very much nourishment in that. So, you know, I could see that something was really wrong. And then I remember I was working with this American uh, counselor and she was over in Sweden training us. And I said to her, you know, what's wrong with me? I could quit alcohol. I could quit smoking. Why can't I quit chocolate and ice cream? And she looked at me and she said, maybe you're a food addict. And I said, what? Because at that time, we didn't know about the sugar. We thought food addiction was something type psychological, you know. And I knew that that wasn't the case because I didn't have any psychological problems that would drive me to eat. It was more like a physical craving. So, uh, and it was the first time I heard that word. And then I knew that there were a hospital in Chicago that was working with food addicts. So I went over there and that's how it all started. And that would be 28 years in, in October. Wow. And that was my first, you know, knowledge that, you know, food could be acting as a psychoactive drug. But there was very little research at that time. But uh, if you had the problem, you understood it. And I could relate to being an alcoholic, you know, and a nicotine addict. So that wasn't a big problem. It was more like I had to surrender to that fact, which I did. 
and I started to eat much better. But uh, at that time, you know, we had the food plants with grains and fruits and low fat and all that. Uh, so, you know, I still had tremendous amount of craving. But I was white knuckling it, you know, what, you know, willpower, white knuckling mm-hmm. it. But I did relapse and I felt miserable. I felt shame because I thought, I know what's wrong with me and I still do it. How can I do that? And I remember one sponsor I had, and she said to me, you know, do you feel ashamed that you have been eating chocolate? And I said, are you nuts? Of course I feel shame. But, you know, it's a brain illness, she said to me, like alcoholism. And I was just floored. I never did this deep connection. So I realized that I viewed the food addiction in a, like a lighter addiction or whatever, instead of seeing it as what it is. Sugar is the gateway drug. It's because of sugar, I was an alcoholic and a nicotine addict. So I started, you know, doing what I call, I put the horse in front of the wagon instead of the other way around. And in Sweden, you know, it's very much, um, addiction is like a psychosocial problem. Uh, To me, it's a biochemical problem. It's a brain illness, a physical illness that has many severe consequences. So that's how I started to work with it. And uh, through the years, I've probably met and worked with thousands of clients. You know, I I can't count them all, but uh, it's really describable illness. And it is an addiction like any other addiction. And I used to say that addiction is addiction is addiction. So, uh, you know, and that's how it started for me. And through the years, you know, uh, I have tried different food uh, plants and all kinds of things. And I think it was 2005 when the low carb movement came in Sweden. That's when I started to uh, have less cravings, uh, you know, feel better, seeing that you could eat. Before that, the food plants were horrible, boring. Uh, you know, that we were eating, they were more like, like uh, restricting and fighting and it wasn't any joy to eat, but you, you ate it. But when the low carb movement came, you know, we started to feel we could eat really good food and enjoy it <laughs> and feel healthy and nice. But if uh, after some years, both in myself and in many of my clients, I could see a pattern that, you know, whipped cream, cheese, um, some kind of dairy with not butter and ghee, but the other products led to overeating or craving or losing it. So that's when I sort of found keto. And I've never been big into details, you know, to measuring keto or for me, keto is real food that we eat. It's not a diet or it's a lifestyle. So when I took away the milk products, so for me, it was very uh, simple. It was more like going from low carb, taking away those milk products. And then we have keto, uh, a very, you know, uh, low carb, very low carb. And I also tried carnivore and, you know, I feel good on that, but I miss some of the veggies. So that's why I have a few veggies and it doesn't seem to bother me. So that's very simple. And I make food and cooking a very small part of my recovery. You know, that's maybe 10% of my recovery. 
I used to say that uh, food for me is fuel. You know, it's like going to the gas station and fill up the car so I can play between I fill up the car. <laughs> and I don't think about gas stations all the time or <laughs> I know when I need to fill up. Uh, uh, so I eat very simple. Um, and uh, I'm lucky where I live, you know, I can get very good food here. Uh, just nothing that is prepared, you know, from just meat, uh, protein, meat, eggs, fish, you know, I can get all of all that and the good veggies that I need and good fats, of course. And I thought it was, you put out uh, something when uh, I follow you, of course, and I, you put out something about vegetable oils. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll tell you one interesting thing. 20 years ago, there was a dietitian coming to one of my intensive trainings in Sweden. I think it's about 20 years ago, or maybe 20 more than 20 years ago. She told me those things over at that time. And, you know, I made a slide that was saying from seed to oil and that whole process of how dangerously they are made. And I thought, now it's hitting mainstream because at that mm-hmm. time when I was lecturing about that 20 years ago, I was even more than nuts than I was with not eating sugar. So the, what baffles me, and I know that you are incredible knowledgeable and you read a lot and study a lot. Isn't it amazing that we have actually known so many of these things for so many, many years? but it still hasn't penetrated mainstream. Uh, yeah. you know, that's a question I like to ask you, you know, what do you think about that? Because I see the th- kind of things you put out, the facts, you know, the knowledge, the science, and it's not really new for me. You package it, I love the way you package it, package it, but it isn't new. So no. how come, where where is it hiding who's hiding it oh well you know what if you trace it back and you follow the money that's yeah. where it's at yeah, it exactly. is i'm sorry you know call me a conspiracy theorist that's fine i don't even care anymore but it is so obvious now you know doing yeah. what we do and seeing what we're seeing talking to people yes. we talk to yeah it always goes back to that I mean, everything it's like, why did they vilify saturated fat and meat? I mean, meat is one of the most nutrient dense foods you can possibly eat, but yet they vilified that. Why? Because they wanted to put out the plant. They vilified salt. Yeah. Eggs, eggs, butter, eggs, eggs, butter. Oh yeah. Butter. I mean, but if you look at it, there's not really money to be made there. The money no. is in the processed foods. So the here, stop eating this bad food and eat our processed packaged food that has all these seed oils and, you know, these great plant Chemicals. based products that are made in a lab uh, made in, you know, chemically altered yes. to addict yes. you to addict you but if you it's it's money it's big food it's money i've read books where you know like the big company heads um they got together and they they talked about this you know and it's like and you know there's all these whistleblowers so you know even if half of it is not correct there's some truth there somewhere 
you know, yeah. even if you want to discount some things and mm -hmm. I find it horrifying and it's disgusting. And it's funny you brought up seed oils because, because I had been posting, like I get a, a I, I follow so many great creators and I do a lot of reposting because I think they're fabulous and they deserve to, you know, get the uh, notoriety, whatever you want to call it, uh, get some yeah. notice from it. And I had somebody continually comment saying that there is absolutely zero proof that seed oils are, are not good for you. Okay. There might be studies saying that hitting yourself in the head with a hammer isn't yeah. exactly good for you, but does that mean that because there isn't, it is, I yeah. mean, who is going to fund a study to show that, you know, something that is making huge amounts of money and those companies tend to be the ones who are funding this research. You know, I, I'm sorry, call me tainted, whatever, but I've seen just so much that I, it just blows my mind. So I have a really hard time trusting anything anyway. You know, it's like, if you just look at it, if you follow the money. Yeah, but you know? we've known it for so long and it, it's like, it's keep coming up to the surface, going down in all this, you know, marketing yep. about the junk food. And it comes up again and people talk about it and it sort of disappears again. It's an amazing thing to look at from, you know, yes. all the years of, of experience I have now and the resistance I've met oh, through yeah. the years, you know. And I remember, you know, people asked me many years ago, uh, because in Sweden, there are still people that think the earth is flat, you know, the ones that <laughs> say sugar addiction isn't real. And uh, with, with all the science we have today, that's embarrassing when they say it, I must say. But anyway, so, you know, somebody asked me, how come you keep doing what you're doing when you have such resistance? This is, you know, many, some years ago. Mm -hmm. And my answer is, I know I'm right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It does wear on you, though, after a while, you know, it's, it's like, but the, the hard thing is, is once your eyes are open, you can't yeah. close them again. No, 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 no. You know, I try no to way. be open and listen, you know, to, because science is always changing. Yeah. You have to kind of accept that and yeah. you may have to change your beliefs. Yeah. And, and you know, science will come around. I mean, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. And, and yeah. so I try to be open to that. I'm not saying I don't have my biases. I'm human. Of course I do, but yeah. I try not to, yeah. to listen yeah. to that other side because you might, have to correct yourself because new stuff has come out just like what you said so yeah. i'm willing to do that but gosh dang when you're just hammered over and over again and you know you see you talk to so many clients and you see it day in and day in and day in and it's like how can you say that's not real how can you say that this isn't harmful how can you know it's like what do you need what evidence do you need <laughs> you know it's like i just don't understand it is very frustrating though yeah yeah. But you know, we throw one starfish at a time. There you go. <laughs> and you'll, at the end, you have to talk about your starfish analogy. Cause I really love that so much. And I think, sure. you know, so many other people can be on board with that too. You don't have to be a coach or a whatever. No, 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 you no, as a person, just a regular person can yes, be a starfish. Absolutely. And we'll get to that at the end. Don't let me forget. Sure, but um, let me ask you a question here. Let, let's just kind of set a baseline so people can really fully understand where we're going with all this. What is a definition of addiction? Okay, great. Uh, loss of control, I would say. 
is one thing, you know, and you said something that I think is very interesting. You said uh, that you had great willpower in your earlier life when you were dieting on and off, but you know, you never cheated and you could easily stop, but you couldn't stay stopped. It is to stay stopped. Okay. Uh, if you can't, then you have an addiction. Uh, you hide, lie, and sneak. That's another definition. The there is an of official in the diagnosed manuals, you know, the criteria in ICD-10 and DSM-4, well, DSM-5, I mean. I mean, you could talk about those, but there are some things that is important because people always ask me, how much did you eat? How often did you eat? They think that it is about amount and how often you eat it. It's not, it's about the brain. So um, you can eat a lot of junk food, uh, you know, often and not be addicted. And you can eat a little bit and not uh, seldom and still be addicted. It has to do with what happens in your brain. And here comes, you know, these, uh, the never science, you know, it takes quite a while to explain, but there is like a, a wiring in your reward center. Once the drug and, you know, any drug, cocaine, heroin, alcohol, and sugar, I mean, they're all the same. Once it hits your reward center, you know, and it creates a, a pathway, you know, uh, the addiction is in place. So it is a chronic illness. Once that's happened, you know, that will never go away. Addiction is addiction is addiction. So <clears throat> it's a physical wiring type thing. And it's not caused by anything. Uh, you're not eating because of emotions or trauma or uh, you know, things that happen to you or uh, you're not eating because of that. You have all those problems because you're eating. That is what addiction is all about. If you have what we call harmful use, you know, uh, and, and you can diagnose this today, if you have harmful use or if you have addiction. So if you have harmful use, uh, you eat for a reason. You're stressed, unhappy. Uh, your boyfriend left you. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you are happy and want to party. There's always a reason, but you're not addicted. You see mm -hmm. the difference? Mm -hmm. And a lot yeah. of people have harmful use and they can get a lot of help with their health, you know, by looking at the reason why they eat. But if you have addiction, you don't ask why, because it's an acquired primary illness in your reward center and your whole brain rebuilds. And thinking about that, you know, sugar and flour, processed food, is the first drug that you encounter. You're exposed to that when you're very, very young. So the, what should I say, the wrong wiring starts very early. So one of the reasons, you know, people don't see this picture is because they have what I call a biochemical denial. The brain is... Uh, you know, not functioning properly, all the wiring is not functioning in the brain due to the drug's effect on the brain. And thinking about that, as a child, your brain is not ready-made. You know, the prefrontal cortex is not ready, for instance, where you have a lot of functions, you know, your personality and uh, many, many functions. And that means that when that gets hampered, you don't have the full effect of your brain during the time that you're addicted. And the word addiction comes from the Latin 
uh, adisere, which means enslaved. Mm. That's so, the truth. So first you take the drug and then the drug takes you. So that is, you know, basically what addiction is all about. So not everybody that eats processed food are addicted, but that's a reason that I developed this tool called Sugar, which is, you know, a diagnostic tool with 67 questions and where you get to know if you have harmful use or addiction. And you also get to know your whole life, uh, a chronographic curve over your whole life, how it has been affected and the consequences. And, and also it, today we have a weight curve on it for the people that have weight problem, but it's important to point out that mm -hmm. people can be underweight and be sugar addicted, normal weight and be sugar addicted and overweight. So it, it's not that just because, you know, that everybody that has an addiction are overweight. So that's very important to point out. Absolutely. And I have so often, you know, how we're talking about the naysayers, you know, that keep coming back, even though there's so much out there that, that just makes so much sense, but they, they keep going back. And I've heard this so much that sugar is not a drug. You can't be addicted to the sugar because it, no, it's not like drugs and alcohol, but I have had quite a few clients who have had other addictions, much, much like yourself, drugs, as well as alcohol and food addiction and call it addictive personality or whatever, but you know, it, they've had these different addictions and the hardest by far was the food addiction. They said, okay. you know, the alcohol and the drug, I'm not saying it was easy, but it was nothing compared to the, the food addiction, the sugar addiction. Exactly. That's because me being an alcoholic was much easier to quit alcohol and nicotine and sugar. And I think it is because, you know, uh, we are made to survive on sugar when we are small to grow fast. You know, it's a lot of sugar in the breast milk and so forth. But then when you start adding, you know, sugar to natural food, you make it something very different. And somebody Actually, a professor said to me, you can't be addicted to sugar. It's a natural, you know, food. And I was mm -hmm. laughing and said, well, where do you think nicotine comes from? You know, leaves, cocaine, leaves, alcohol, seeds, and potato. I mean, do you want to know anything more? Heroin from the, you know, opium uh, flour. So... Uh, you know, the, that's just, you know, nonsense to talk about it in that way. Sugar is extremely potent, extremely potent. One of the strongest drugs ever. And there are studies done where rats got cocaine and sugar in two different groups. And then when they put them together and they got sugar and cocaine again, you know, they were both addicted to sugar and cocaine. Even the, the rats on cocaine wanted sugar. So sugar is has an incredible uh, quick effect on your brain and any drug that have a really really fast effect on your brain is highly addictive and also the fact that you have withdrawal symptoms and you cut it out proves that is it is an addiction and there are so many studies today you know i think there are about 10,000 studies on this wow. today so uh, you know but i think you know uh, people that say that that 
it can't be addictive. Uh, either they have uh, shares in a sugar company, <laughs> either or they are sugar addicted and don't want to lose the drug, or they just don't understand the thing. I I agree <laughs> with you because it's out you know, there. It's, it's so obvious. It, you know, yeah. I, I don't think anyone would want to be overweight and losing weight and gaining weight and and have all the consequences or choose to have diabetes and amputate to choose to have all the illnesses that come from sugar nobody would ever sit down and say well i think i'm going to be in diabetic i think i'm going to be really overweight i think i'm going to be really depressed you know or have anxiety or all the consequences that we know that you get nobody would choose that so you know sugar gets you it takes you it very really fast does. and the problem with addiction mm -hmm. is that you don't see that you become addicted it becomes normal because the drug rebuilds your brain the energy in your body and your brain goes to you know supporting and defending the drug so you lose out on so many other areas in your life and you don't see that yourself so that's the problem uh, that is so true. And that's with any addiction. Like you said, an addiction is an addiction is an addiction. It yeah. really doesn't matter what the form is. But I think that, you know, with food addiction, sugar addiction, it's in your face 24 seven, you cannot get away with it. You can't stay out of a bar. You can't uh, get away from your drug dealer friends. I mean, food is in your face. It's on the TV. It's on the radio. It's around every corner. And it's actually encouraged. And I think that makes it it's so it's much totally difficult. involved in our culture. <laughs> totally. You know, yeah. you know, you can't meet without having anything with sugar. Have a birthday party without sugar. Mm -hmm. What do we if we should you and I do a, a, a cake with salami or tapas or something? <laughs> that would be fun. But I mean, most people would think we're nuts. For sure. So yeah. the thing is that, first of all, it's the early exposure that is so mm -hmm. incredibly dangerous to a child's brain that is not developed yet. So that sets you up tremendously and then it is the constant exposure because the food industry knows that there is something called cue induced craving that's when you see it you hear it and you smell it you know that's because that's why it is you are immersed in it you can't go anywhere so in order to recover and this is what we work with you know when we work with treatment we are you know, working with very special tools to help people to withstand cue-induced craving. There's also stress-induced cravings. Mm. So you have to know those two different uh, things. But we have huge toolboxes today that we can provide for people. And the problem is that a lot of sugar addicts go to people that are not trained in addiction and they get help and that will still be you know a new diet or a new therapy form or another tool that's not going to help and i used to say if you break your leg don't go to the gynecologist you know <laughs> so this is some of the things i see in society today that so many people think they can help sugar addicts they can't if you're not trained understanding the addict brain mm -hmm. 
don't uh, work with them because you might make it only worse. You have to really understand what the addicted brain is all about. Addictive thinking, you know, automatic negative thoughts, false feelings that come from the drug, which drives your behavior and your urges. If you don't understand that pattern, you can't help somebody out of this. You know, you're just going to give them like, you know, a little Band-Aid on a very dangerous wound that needs to be cleaned and, you know, uh, some really good ointment on it. So that is one of the big problems we have. And also, uh, I don't like, as a nurse, I don't like to work with guesswork. I don't like to treat you guessing what your problem is. I like to examine you and see, is this really addiction? Because I don't work with eating disorders. I don't work with people that think they have an eating disorder. And I think, well, can we look at it? Your eating disorder might be a food addiction because when food addicts starts coming up in the teenage year, they start starving. And that, that might go into anorexia, but it was a sugar addiction before. So the anorexia is a compensatory behavior to try to control mm. the food addiction. And then you lose uh, you know, the energy to start, so you start binging, and then you get the name bulimic or binge eater, but it still is a effect of the sugar addiction. You know? And then you're an overeater or a volume eater. That's the end of that story. And this is the way it goes. It starts with you, know, you loving sugar as a kid, starting to gain weight, starting to diet, restrict, binge eat, you know, purging, exercising like crazy. And then you have no energy left because the food saps your mitochondria. It saps your energy. Uh, so, you know, and on, all the on and off. So you're totally exhausted by that time. So all you do is eat. Now you're a volume eater. It's one illness called sugar addiction with all these behaviors. But if somebody comes to me and I would do the sugar uh, assessment, the diagnostic tool that I told you about, and I, they have you know, restricting or bulimic behavior or anything, but they're not addicted, I would never work with them. I don't work with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Do you see the difference in what I mean? Now? Yeah, I'm starting to understand that. And I'm not sure I really completely separated it. I mean, okay. I, I know there's like addiction and I know like there's the um, emotional, the trauma reason why yes. you eat and those are different, yeah. but I also think you can have both at the same time, you know, like one feeding the other kind yes. of thing. But you know what, you know what, sugar will help you see when did the addiction come? And in 99 out of hundred addiction comes first, very early. Remember early exposure, as I told you, as a baby, as a small child. Okay. So addiction comes very early. And if you then experience a trauma, you can never deal with the trauma until you have healed the addiction mm. because you're putting the drug on top of it. So mm. that's why addiction has to be addressed first. You have to be drug free in order to really deal with your trauma. Right. That makes sense. Absolutely. So does it make sense then? But what oh, I'm absolutely. saying is if somebody have a trauma or have like eating disorder symptoms and they're not addicted, then they should see those specialists. But if right. those eating disorder behaviors are on top of an addiction, they are often, you know, they become addict addictions too, obsessions, addictions. 
So you have to address the whole addicted brain, the thinking, the feelings, the urges, the behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I have a question here. Um, Moderation. Number one, I freaking hate the word because I just think it's completely worthless. Okay. There, and there are some people I have seen who can, you know, have a couple of bites and they're like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> hate those people, whatever. I'm just saying, <laughs> but I, I know they exist. Okay. But we yeah. were talking about white unicorns to me, that's a white unicorn. Um, but if somebody is addicted to food, to sugar, is it okay to moderate the drug? Absolutely not. That is actually should be, uh, you know, that's uh, should be reported as wrong uh, treatment. I find that very frustrating because if it's it way is fact, to earn money because the client's going to come back. Right. I, it just it infuriates me. I see this time and time and time again on, you know, TikToks. It's like, you don't have to give up this. You don't have to give up yeah. that. All you have to do is learn to moderate. An addict is saying that to an addict. That's the way I feel because like you would never tell an alcoholic, oh, just a couple of glasses a night, moderate it. But see, most people, do that. And it would take too long to do that. But, uh, you know, go. that's what we teach. You know, we teach our, our clients. We don't treat them. We teach them. We educate them. And that's what I do today. I don't take any clients anymore because I train professionals to be the next starfish throwers, as we're going to come to. Uh, and, and this is the thing that is so important for people to understand that you have to understand what addiction is all about deep down. You have to understand the neuroscience, you know, and that would take, you know, several hours to explain here. But I mean, we know it has to do with uh, pathways in the brain, neurotransmitters, it's not only dopamine, it's not that simple. There are others, you know, beta endorphins, serotonins, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline and so forth. And, uh, but there's a lot of focus on dopamine, but it's not only about dopamine. Uh, I want to point that out, but it is complicated. And, uh, you know, once you understand what's happened there, you have to understand that the powerlessness is when that person gets one bite of that drug in the brain, you cannot control that. It's like it would say to you, please lift yourself in your hair or stop breathing. I mean, you can't do that. It's physical impossible. And that's what I want to point out. That's why I say that addiction is a physical brain illness. It's not a psychological problem. It's a biochemical problem. Yeah, and that makes total so sense. So moderation to is BS. I, I, oh God, I so agree with that. And I find it so, so frustrating because I see it all the time and people get well, darn right. Just, you know, triggered by that. Uh, what do you mean? I, I moderate. I know lots of people who moderate. That was the best thing. I can have a piece of cake and I can have this and I can have that and you know, all this. And I'm just like, okay, maybe it does work for you. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe, you know, maybe that person really honestly wasn't addicted, but there That's are exactly way too think. many people yeah. out there who are, yeah. and that advice is awful. I mean, so just that's, awful. Yeah. 
But you know, the way we, we have to counteract that is teach about addiction. What are the symptoms of addiction? What is addiction? You know, the disease concept, the definitions, you know, like what I've been trying to do here now without being too scientific, too technical, too into detail, because then we lose people. But you know, deep down, every addict know that they are an addict, but they don't want to admit it. Because sure. there's one thing, I call the illness of addiction the red dog, you know, and the healthy part of you is the blue dog. I love that story, you know, about the red and the blue dog. And everybody can understand that it, you are not your red dog. You do have a red dog here. So the enemy is within you, but you are not the bad person here. You have, you know, sort of infected with this nasty little thing that can be very seductive and shouldn't you have a little piece of cake? <laughs> or very demanding and angry, don't threaten my drug. But once the addiction is in place, you know, uh, before, until, any, until a person that really wants help and get to listen about what this is all about, they will defend the drug tooth and nail. And uh, it's no meaning working with the person like that more than dripping some little pieces about knowledge, about addiction, about loss of control, hiding, lying, sneaking, you know, consequences, foggy brain, tired. I mean, you can do that. Uh, but uh, one day that person will be tired of their own behavior. We used to say, uh, when you come to a point when you're tired of being sick and tired, then you're ready. And then, uh, you know, what you should do is to talk to a professional to see if you are addicted or if you have harmful use. Because if you have harmful use, well, go to the people working with moderation. I don't, I would never work with them. That's boring to me. So I will only work with addicts. So once I know it is addiction, I know what to do. I know how to help them out of that jungle, the pain, the loneliness, uh, the waking up in the morning and your kitchen is a, a war zone, you know, and you feel stuffed and miserable and you know that you're not going to quit today either. You're going to start, you feel miserable, but you're going to start thinking, when can I eat again? You know, that thing is driving you all the time, that part of your brain. Mm. And one day you are really in pain and really sick and tired. That's when you should call us. And I used to say that we sugar addiction specialists, we are the last house on the street. I mean, people have, you know, they started with Weight Watchers and powders and pills and gym cards and, you know, all kinds of diets you can think of, vegan, vegetarian. I could go on and on and on. I mean, uh, powders, blah, 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 blah. Gastric bypass. You know, uh -huh. we could we could go on and on about that. Uh, but, you know, so we are the last house on the street because the red dog doesn't want you to admit that you're an addict because the red mm. dog knows that then, you know, you have to give up the drug. And that's painful. That's a grief process. But that's what we are experts at helping you at. That's what we know how to do. We know how to get you out of the jungle. We have the roadmap. We have the tools you need. Uh, we have the knowledge. We have the support. So in your best guesstimate, when somebody says that, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. Yeah. What do you feel the percent of those people who say that are actually full out 
by your definition of addicted? Like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would think hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe not hundred, let's say 98 then. There are a few, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there are a few, but um, I think the problem is that that's been taken lightly. That mm-hmm. that's like some oh yeah I'm a little bit it, I, I'm a little bit addicted to sugar you know we used to I say hear that like, a lot like saying you know well I'm a little bit pregnant you can't <laughs> be a little bit pregnant that's impossible right you could be early in the uh, pregnancy or you could be late in your pregnancy you know it's very noticeable <laughs> late in your pregnancy and it's the same with addiction there is three phases actually you know the early phase when the battle is within you the middle phase when it starts showing on the outside and the third phase, you know, when it's full blown. So that's what it is. But uh, people, when they say it, I think many, many times, you know, and this is what I would like surroundings to listen to, that might be a cry for help, a cry for help because they are trapped within this. Mm I used to do role plays to show how that works, you know, how they have two voices in their head, constantly arguing, you know, we should seek help. No, 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 no. We wait until after Christmas or Easter or vacation or this and the birthday party and not yet, not yet, you know, because the red dog really wants to keep the drug to, you know, anything, going to any length to do that. So when people say it, I would, you know, say, look at them and say, oh, uh, do you want me to help you to see how that looks? If you might be sugar addicted, why not? Instead of just, oh yeah, I'm a little sugar addicted too. You know, it's like a joke. Addiction to me is a deadly illness. It's a deadly illness. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree with you. I cry for help. And I think when people say that, uh, they probably have a, a hard time with it. Since it's everywhere. It really is. And I mean, I know you said 